Today we're concluding their, our time in Lamentations, but not this series, When I Can't Believe. And so we're getting to the end of this book. We've gone through a range of feelings and emotions throughout the series. And today, when there's nothing left, you know, when, when there is, you know, loss, there's that sense of despair that can come upon you or that can come upon me or us when something is lost. You know, we try to get it back. If it's an income, if it's a job, you know, we do everything that we can to try to figure out how to keep it, how to replace it, how to replace lost income, how to finagle and manipulate things so that we can get everything back. We try everything that we can try, and then there's nothing left. We feel this sense of despair, frustration, loss. It could be uh, something to do with our families, Of course, we can lose family members, but it doesn't have to be permanently or it doesn't have to be to the loss that death brings. We can lose family members just by distance. People move away. Uh, We can lose family members because their choices aren't good ones. You know, sometimes we we just feel like, hey, this isn't the way that that we drew up what was going to happen with our families. We can't control these things. We're trying to get all of our relationships restored the, the way that they ought to be. I've tried everything. There's nothing left. Yeah, maybe it's, it's maybe not the income or the family. I mean, there could be just a position. Maybe it's that position at work or that title or, or maybe an office, even a church, where there's that, 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 that prime place or that respect or that priority that, that maybe we have. It, and we lose this role that we, might, that we might love to have. And we can't get it back. And we try what we can, but there's nothing left. And, and something is lost. Of course, health. We can, lose, we can lose our health. We can lose the opportunity for, the, for, for us to have the same kind of physical experiences, maybe the same kind of pleasures, maybe the same kind of health stability in, in our own bodies. We can lose these opportunities. We can try everything there is to try, whether it's money, whether it's family, whether it's health. We can try everything, and then there's nothing left. And we feel this, this despair, this, this sense of loss about all of this. We can lose anything. Our homes, our security, things just have to change. And we do everything we can. We want it to be like it was. We want to get it back. And then there's nothing left. And we feel there's nothing left for us to do. And then sometimes, in rarer but possible experiences, it's not just one of those things. It's all of those things. There's nothing, nothing left. That's where we are in the book of Lamentations. By the end of chapter 5, we see a people who feels like they've lost everything there is to lose. Jobs, families, position, their national status, their respect, the closeness with the Lord. Everything that they had is gone. They've lost it all. There is nothing left. That's the position that we see. And throughout the book, we've seen abandonment. That was chapter 1. Chapter 2, it felt like, hey, when God's against me, And then when we're just overwhelmed, chapter 3, last week in chapter 4, it was this, hey, life's not fair. And so we get here to chapter 5, and I I guess it just feels like, having said all of that, there's nothing left. It's just you. Is it just you today today? Is that where you're at? Is that what you're feeling? It's just me. I've done everything I can and there's nothing left. What are you going to do? It's just you. It's just me. Are you going to pull yourself up? Buck up? 
hoist yourself by the, by the bootstraps, get through it, and just muscle on through. We love those hero stories of how we got through those things. And, and if we do that, and we could maybe be able to accomplish it, if we do that, you know, one of the things that it would accomplish that we'd really love is that would bring us a lot of praise and respect from people, wouldn't it? I haven't even read any verses yet. We're going to get there. But the problem with that is that brings praise to us, and that's not the right person. We're not supposed to be praising us. And this is where we're getting at by the end of the book. After I've lost everything that I can, and I can't even pull myself up, even if I thought about it, I'd realize that's praising the wrong person. That's bringing honor and respect to the wrong person, and we're supposed to praise the right person. Would you read some verses, please? Not yet. We'll get there, okay? By the time we get to this point in the book, we're realizing that our praise is no longer a function of having everything go our way. We praise God because he's the right person to praise. That's what's left. Sometimes this is what praise looks like. Sometimes there's no band and there's no lights, and there's no projection, and there's no crowd. Sometimes praise is just you and God, and you're kind of hunched over, and you're just saying, all right, God, I get it. You're still in control. I get it. You're still in charge. Sometimes that's what praise looks like. Just resigned to those facts. Okay, God, I get it. You're still in charge, so we praise God. He's the right person. We praise him for his reign. We praise him for his reign. He is ruling. He's the right person to praise because he still rules when all is lost, when there's nothing left. You see, by, by, by nature, we like to think that God reigns because we can see that he reigns. We like to think that God rules because everyone can see that, because it's obvious if God's ways, God's people, God, you know, if he gets a lot of respect and people are elevating him and praising and worshiping him, then he reigns. Maybe. Well, certainly he does, but the idea of him getting the praise of all of mankind has very little to do with the fact that God has a position of power and authority in the universe. And the fact of us recognizing it or not has nothing to do with his reign. His ancient people recognized that, hey, as long as Jerusalem stands, God reigns. This is the center of God's reign and his rule and his dominion in the earth. Jerusalem is the, 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 the capital city, and right on Mount Zion is the temple, the place where we worship him, the place where his, his, uh, his presence and his glory dwells as long as the temple stands we know that inside the the holy of holies is the ark of the covenant and the lid that we talk about the ark of the covenant the lid sometimes is called the mercy seat the 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 idea of it being the throne of god that when he fills the temple that that mercy seat the the ark of the covenant that's that's his throne or maybe his footstool but either way that's the focus of all of his reign he rules from jerusalem and in the temple at the ark of the covenant at the mercy seat that's his throne god reigns but what if it's gone as long as that stands i know he's there but what if it's gone and that's what the people were dealing with i don't have a picture of it but it was it was torn down zion was destroyed 
The temple was destroyed. It was plundered by foreign people. There was no Ark of the Covenant there anymore. The God's presence had left it. What happens when the temple and the Ark of the Covenant and God's throne is gone? Does God still rule? Lamentations verse 5 verse 19 says, even though, actually if we backed up, we'd, we'd see in, in verse 18, you know, even though it's all gone, even though everything's gone, even though everything we loved is gone. Even though there's nothing left, even though Mount Zion, where the temple stood, is desolate and the animals crawl all over it, it's not even cared for. Verse 19. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. God's realm is not a place. Some translations uh, uh, talk about, you know, uh, you, O Lord, remain. And that's true. He does remain forever when everything else is gone. But this idea in, in, uh, in this passage is the idea of rulership or his reign. That's the kind of language that's here. The place of Jerusalem, the place of Mount Zion and the temple on it, the place focused the people's attention on his realm, but it did not determine it. It did not define God's realm. God reigns, and this is your reminder, but it doesn't define it. It's not determined by it. So for us, the perception that God reigns, the perception that God or his people or his ways or his church or you personally, the perception that they're all winning has little or nothing to do with whether God is in charge or not. He is sovereign in the universe and whether it looks like it or not, that's God's rule. That's God's place. He reigns no matter what. That's what we have when there's nothing left. To say that, you reign. Whatever I see, God, you reign, is an act of praise and worship because it says by faith, I believe this. This is true no matter what. When there's nothing left, God is. There's our hope. That's our hope to start with. But that praise, God, you reign, you're in control. No matter what I see, no matter what gets torn down, you're in charge, you're the sovereign of the universe. That's good praise, that's healthy, that's where we ought to be, but it brings its own problem. Because we recognize God reigns, yay, that's great. But wait a second. Everything's torn down, everything's destroyed, there's nothing left. If God reigns and everything's desolate... Wait a second. God's in control, and there's nothing left. Who's responsible for that? That's the problem of praising a God who's in charge, who's in control of everything. Who let that happen? All this bad stuff. There's nothing left. Who let that happen? You got it. You guessed it. That's right. God let that happen. We want to praise God for his reign. We have to praise God for his will. We have to praise God for his direction, for what he has allowed, for his control. And not just that he is in control, but that he is controlling these things. He allowed these losses to happen in our lives. He didn't ask us for our advice. His will is his own. He takes his own advice. His ways are higher than my ways. His ways are higher than our ways. His way is best. He has the power to grant what we want or to take it from us. And he'll do what seems best to him. 
And we want to come back at God and say, wait a second, God, I thought that the idea of you having people in this, in this place was so that we would look good to the rest of the world, so that we would look like, you know, we could glorify you, that you would bless us, that we would bless them. We're supposed to win so that people would say, hey, we want to be like them. God, what happens if you're being put down? What happens if we look weak to all the people who are putting you down? What happens, God, if the people who say, hey, where's your God? How come you're not winning? How, what happens if they're right? And God just turns us around and says, look, if we're placing our trust and our security and all those things that God's given instead of the God who's given them, he's willing to take them away. God's willing to look weak to the world for a while so that he can look strong to us. God does want to be glorified in the world. He does want to be magnified. He does want the world to bless him. He does want the world to see him in glory. He wants to be magnified, but he's not going to do it through people who put conditions on their praise. I will praise you if everything looks right, if everything's going well, God won't do it. He's willing to look weak to the world so that he looks strong to us. He's going to magnify himself in the world through people who believe him and praise him just for who he is because he's the right person to be praised because of his reign, because of his will. And so we get to this place where we recognize there's nothing left. God's still in control and his way is best. Even when it looks bad, even when it looks weak, even when we're not winning. Yeah. Yeah, okay, God. You're still in charge. You're still in control. I'll praise you anyway. So good. There we are. Ready to praise. And we've done that. We're doing that. We're praising God. And we still have this problem, however, and that's this. I'm doing the right thing in praising God, but there's still nothing left. I still feel terrible. I feel lousy. I feel like I'm totally rejected and abandoned by God and all of the right people. There's nothing left. I'm supposed to praise God? Yes, so I do. Yes, I do it because I believe. That's good, but I still feel terrible. There's nothing left. There's more. Yes, we praise. We do that out of belief. But then we deal with this feeling. We deal with these emotions of loss that there's nothing left. We deal with these um, these feelings of rejection. And we move from praising the right person to perceiving the right feeling. Praising God is a matter of belief. So despite the outward pressure to deny him, d- despite all, all the, 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 the woes, difficulties, yes, even laments in our lives, we, we, we have this outward pressure about all of that, but we believe in him anyway. We've decided to praise him anyway. That's good. He's the only person who deserves that praise. He's the only person who's in control. Fine, that's all good, but we still feel terrible. And in times of loss, it can feel like God has totally rejected us. It can feel like, you know, we're, we're just, it's never gonna feel better. He's turned his back on me. That, that feeling happens to us at different points in our lives. And sometimes it can take us totally by surprise. That feeling comes upon us, and that's the feeling that the ancient poet here in Lamentations 5 had in verse 20 when he said, why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? 
Was it, was it right? Is it right to feel this way? God, you've forsaken us forever. Is it right to feel that way? Could we even change the way that we feel? Let's talk about that for just a minute. You know, the, 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 the idea here, the writer is being perfectly honest with God and with us as he writes that. That's a good thing. God, it feels like you've forsaken us forever. forever. He's honest. That's good. Maybe that's the first step towards feeling the right feeling. Can we change the way we feel? The goal is to feel the right feeling. We think the goal is to feel the good feeling. God says the goal is to feel the right feeling. Okay, got it. I still feel rejected. Okay, is it right to feel rejected? For a moment. For a while. Feel momentary rejection. It might feel like God's rejected you or the ones that you love. Absolutely. Forever. It's total abandonment by God. These verses reminded the prophet and they remind us that for God's children, that's impossible. For God's children, there is no total abandonment, total and absolute rejection by God. These verses remind us, God, it feels like you've abandoned us, like you've rejected us forever. It feels that way, but it reminds us God made promises to his people that he wouldn't do that. He made those promises to his people way back then. He makes promises to us today, to his church, to us. Psalm 94 verse 14 the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. Hebrews 13, to the church people like us today, says, and he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Trouble feels like it's absolute. Trouble feels like it's going to last forever. It's not absolute. It won't last forever. It just feels that way. And those feelings take us to God and remind us of his promises. It can't last forever. It can't be total because God promised that it won't be. Good, fine, I understand, but I still feel terrible. I still feel rejected. Why should God's people ever feel rejected, turned away from by God? Is that right to feel sometimes? Yes. It's appropriate. If it's momentary, we can feel appropriate rejection by God. See, throughout this book of Lamentations, and at least a couple times in the chapter that was read for us today, for uh, chapter 5, the writer has told us why they would feel this bad, why they would feel this kind of rejection. Why should they feel rejected? Because they rejected God first. That's why. He didn't move. They did. The scorn and rejection and feeling of loss that comes, uh, that came to them, that can come upon us, was a result of their sin and sinfulness. Unrepentant hearts brought the hardship on them. Time out. I understand that. There are feelings of loss, that there are feelings of rejection, that there are hardships that come into people's lives. 
that may have other explanations than their own sin and sinfulness. So we understand that God's word has more to say about the matter of why hardships come into people's life. God's word has more to say about suffering than just that it's a result of people's direct sinfulness. So before we go on, and we, and, and, and we're, we can't make apologies that God's word goes where it goes, but before we go on, let's make a deal with each other, okay? We will not, I will not assume that anyone's hardship or suffering in the room today is a result of their own personal sin, as long as you don't assume that there's no way that it could be because of your own personal sin. Make sense? Is that a deal? I won't assume that your hardship is because of your own sin, and you can't just reject it automatically that there's no way that it has to do with your own sinfulness. Deal? That's where this chapter takes us. That's where it goes. Who should feel bad? When someone does something wrong, when someone sins, when someone rebels against authority, who should feel bad? After all, the people who did it. We see this uh, in our homes. We see this with our children. We see this in our classrooms, if you're you're teaching. We we, we see this pretty commonly. If uh, the child or the student misbehaves, does something wrong, rebels, decides they're going to go their own way, who should feel bad about that? Should the parent feel bad about that? Should the teacher feel bad about that? They might. Will it help? No. That's not going to help. So we do the right thing as authority figures. We know what to do. We create a set of circumstances that makes the child or the student feel bad because of the consequences of their own actions. They feel bad because now we have their attention. Now they connect the idea of their suffering, their hardship with their wrongdoing, and that gives them motivation and understanding not to be doing that kind of thing. It's bad for them. It's it's, it's against the rule or the, the, the ideas that you've established, and they can't do that. And if uh, someone rebels and you feel bad, it doesn't fix anything. It doesn't help. Well, that's us. If we do wrong and God feels bad, we'd love that. But that wouldn't help us. And so the, the feelings, the bad feelings and hardship... Has to, has to come upon the one who's, who's uh, contributed to it. I talked about this just, just a few weeks ago with our, with our Olympians. Um, some, some classroom management trouble that, that we were having. Don't worry, it wasn't your child. <laughs> just kid stuff. And I, I actually told them, I said, guys, I'm sorry, I've been doing this wrong. You, you, you've done some things wrong, and I feel bad about it. Well, that's not right. So from now on, if you do things wrong, you guys got to feel bad about it. They looked at me and said, you know, Pastor Eric, that makes perfect sense. I, I, I would appreciate that because we know that's what's best for us. Wisely, I didn't really even ask them what they thought. That's the way, that's the way to do it. We, we have to behave that way. And so obviously, that's the way God behaves with us. And we understand, is, is, is bad feelings or hardship in a classroom or in, or in our families? Is that always a direct result of sin? No, I get it. Like, like, like we can tell our kids no lots of times, and it has nothing to do with rebellion or uh, sinfulness or, or bad desires. You know, if the, if the child wants to go play in the highway, you know, we tell them no. Was it 
was it absolute sin that they'd want to go out there and play? No, we tell them no because it's bad for them. They can't see the, the hazard. So we tell them no. What if they ask 10 times? No. You're making me really feel bad, Dad. You keep telling me no. I know. I'm going to keep telling you no. It's bad for you. The child doesn't see what's best for them. The child doesn't see that it's not okay for you to let them eat candy and junk food morning, noon, and night. They want to. Is it sinfulness and rebellious that they want? No, it's normal. Are you going to let them? No. So it's not always a direct result of their own sinfulness, but they're still going to feel bad when you keep telling them no. Are we that different from little ones? Can we see what's best for us five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road? Can we see what's best for us tomorrow? Sometimes we have these hard feelings as direct result of our sin and rebellion. God wants us to connect our sinfulness to our hard feelings, to get our attention and motivate us to do what's right. Sometimes it's just God saying, I'm directing you in a different way. Dear little one, this is what's best for you. It feels hard now. Trust me, it's what's best. All of that's coming together in these hard feelings. Yeah, I feel bad. Yeah, I feel rejected. I feel like there's nobody there. I'm not getting what I want. I'm not getting what I think is the right thing. God says, I know. You can feel bad for a while. That, I'll take that. We can live with that. For us to become more like Jesus... He can live with us feeling bad for a while. But just like children who live in a loving home, when life circumstances or their own suffering or their own choices make them feel bad, make them feel terrible, make them feel you know, abandoned or rejected, that discomfort, it causes them and it causes us to, to, to run back home to run back home to the ones that we know love us and these difficulties in our lives. Especially in times of loss and despair. Yes, even lament. They cause us to run home. They don't or shouldn't cause us to just simply focus on the loss, to just try to replace, to get things back to the way that they were. They cause us to go find God. Go run home to the one who loves you no matter what. Go find God. But here's the idea I really want to leave us with uh, today, that I really want us to get today. Why wait? Why wait for God to make us feel bad? Why wait for loss or lament or rejection to feel bad before we run back home? Why wait? Look around. What difference does the appearance of our prosperity or success or winning or good feelings, what difference does that make? Jeff Bezos, right, from Amazon, all right, he's like the most wealthy man in the universe and, you know, he controls like thousands of people's lives and careers and, and indirectly, his decisions and his company's decisions affect all these consumers in lots of different ways. He's got it all, right? Is he happy? Well, I don't know. I, I, can't, I can't speak for him. But his recent divorce, I'm not making fun. I'm just saying something's not right. I scroll through Instagram and I see that I'm supposed to act like all these fitness models. I'm not looking for them, but there they are. Promoted, you know, they're just, they're just, they're, 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 there they are. Like, I'm supposed to train like these people to be happy? Is that... Is that going to make me happy? If I train like these people, well, I'm never going to be happy. 
because I'm not doing it. All right? If I'm supposed to train like them for my spouse to be happy, is she ever going to be happy? She's never going to be happy. I'm not, I'm not doing that. All right? It's not going to even work. I've got other things to do. Listen, what about, hey, you, you know, the appearance of this is my education. This is where I've got a plan, my school. This is my career. This is the kind of girl or guy that I'm going to be with. Here's my kids. They're all laid out. I've already got the stickers bought for the back of the van. I know what my pets are going to be. We, we've got, all, all, here's all the fun family experiences and life things that I'm supposed to go through. I've got it all planned out. This is what prosperity is. And God's got to give it to me because I praised him before. Because I know what's best. If, good luck. Good luck. What's the, what's the difference? Why wait for lament? Why wait for feeling bad? What separates us from those, you know, those who aren't feeling bad, aren't lamenting? What separates us from those who do? Look around. There is nothing left. Go find God. It's not when there's nothing. There is nothing left. Go find God. Why do I need to wait? To lament before I understand this. Do it now. What separates? If this room was full of hundreds of people who had the best there was in this life, whose families were good, whose incomes were good, they controlled their own destinies and fates, and they were happy in all ways, what separates them from people who would be lamenting as if all was lost? What separates? A job? Jobs can go just like that. It happens all the time. What separates any of us from lamenting tomorrow? A family member's decision? Of personal loss? A job? A family? Life experiences? Any feelings of safety, of security? Any feelings of respect or position that we have? Any esteem that we have for ourselves or that others have for us? Any pleasures or luxuries that we have in this body, in this place? Any achievements? Any self-sufficiency? They're an illusion. They're nothing when compared with the greatness of adoption as a child of God. They're nothing when compared to the inheritance of all the riches of heaven in Jesus Christ. All of this is nothing. Look around. There is nothing left. Go find God. Philippians 3, verse 7 and 8 says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ Jesus. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This is the gospel. There is nothing left. Don't wait for hardship. Don't wait for lamenting for bad feelings. Go find God now. The people in Lamentations chapter 5, they sinned. They turned their backs on God. And when believers do that, God's going to bring hardships. Let us feel bad and rejected for at least a while to get our attention, to change our course. How do you feel today? If you know that there are issues that you have to get right with God, then stop chasing after what can be taken away. Go find the one who never leaves. Wait, what, what, if, what if I feel lost? What if I feel rejection? What if I feel hardship, but I don't know of any sin issues? No, honestly, I, I, I've, I, you know, things are terrible right now, but I can't identify any unrepentant sin issues. Or what if... 
What if you're here today, you just feel fine? Like, like, I don't know what you all are talking about because I'm not going through any hard times. The course is the same. The prescription is the same for all of us. Lament, hardship, or not. Pursue the right course. And here we finish up with the last couple verses of the book. There's nothing left. No, I can see that when I feel like there's nothing left, God's still there. God's in control. I can praise him because he reigns and he makes good choices. His ways are higher than mine. Okay, I'm getting through that. I'm sorting out my feelings. And I understand that it's okay. And sometimes I have to feel bad. God's directing me. God's pursuing uh, me and directing me towards the right directions. He wants me to feel bad, at least sometimes for a little while, to get me going in the right way. I'm, I'm dealing with my feelings about all this, and now I'm ready to pursue the right course. The last two verses. 21 and 22. Restore us to yourself, O Lord. Let me read that again. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us, or better read, even though you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. There's no other verses after that. It's the end of the book. That's what we're left with. Pursue the right course is pursue the relationship in times of loss and grief or any time. We just want everything to go back to the way that it was. But look at the order. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Who allowed, who, who orchestrated these troubles to get your attention? God did. Who does the restoring? God does. Can your mother ask God on your behalf to restore you to him? I guess. Can your husband or wife ask God on your behalf to restore you to him? Sure. Can your best friend ask God on your behalf to restore you to him? Absolutely. Sure, anyone can ask that. Will it work? Is it enough to ask it another way? Will God restore you to himself against your will? I'm not saying it's impossible, just that it's never happened before. Who has to ask God to restore you to himself? You do, you do. Sometimes you and I, we have to go to God and admit it. We've wandered in our affections God, I've been seeking fulfillment in a lifestyle that I agree with instead of in God alone. And we want that to change. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Not whatever else I've lost. Not independence, not affluence, not personal peace, not respect or prosperity. Restore us to yourself, oh Lord. And then after pursuing the relationship. Then we pursue the restoration. Renew our days as of old. Yeah, we want things to be like they were, but not like they were when we were complacent and felt entitled to God's blessings. We want things to be like the way, the way that they were when they were new. We want to be amazed by God, his forgiveness, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the blessings that come with it, whatever they are. So look around. There is nothing left. Go find God. Even if the hope is a distant flicker. Like these last verses in Lamentations 5, there's, there's not much hope there. Just this idea. There's no glorious ending, no cheering up. At least not yet. It's not there. 
Just this idea, even though right now I feel like there's nothing left except loss, except rejection, except God's anger, I'm still turning to him, and I'm going to go find him. He's the only one to fix it. He'll decide when enough is enough, and that's enough for me, because he's God, and I'm not. And the more severe the outward pressure to deny God, the more it shows the inward purity of our pursuing him. It's only by grace, it's only by God's grace that we don't constantly turn away from him. Can you feel that? Can you feel that? Yeah, God, you know, but by your grace, there's times I'm just going to go my own way. I'm just, I'm ready to turn my back on it all sometimes. But by your grace, I haven't done that. Can you feel that? Sometimes God lets us turn our own way and suffer the consequences of that. Can you feel that? Go find God. Go find God. Sometimes it seems like you did everything right. You're not identifying sin issues. You've done everything you think you're supposed to do, but life still is a mess of tragedy and loss and rejection. Do you feel that? Go find God. When there's nothing left, go find God. I can stand here. I can make no promises about what's going to happen any time soon. All I know is God's still in control. Sometimes we have to feel bad. And Jesus Christ is still the only way to the Father. Are you ready to go find him? Father, We thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. We thank you that in finding Jesus Christ on the cross that we find our way to you. And we thank you that in finding a resurrected Jesus, we find restoration. And Father, I, I pray for all of us all of us here today, that as we go through these issues of trying to sort out our feelings, whether we feel fine or whether we feel horrible, that we would find our way to you. Father, if someone's never found their way to you, let today be the day. Friends, don't let today go by and say, I've never found God. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will not be disappointed. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let us introduce you to him. Father, we do ask for comfort. We do ask for restoration. Lord, we submit to your will because you're in charge and your ways are higher. As much as it depends on us, let us turn from wicked ways Let us turn from self-sufficiency. Let us turn from glorifying and idolizing the blessings that you bestow unto the one who gives them. That's our prayer. That's our desire. Help us find you. We know that you're not far. Just turn us back. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to speak with somebody during the closing...